2: Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, February the... Actually, it's, it's Friday, February the 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 3241 of the Survival Podcast. It is, as I said, once I got it right, Friday, 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 time for... The expert Council Q&A show of the week. i got a good r- r- lineup for you today. In the Ron Paul Liberty highlights, the real pandemic is government lying. From Ron Paul, Dan Adams. the Twitter files show there was election interference, but not from Russia. And Chris Rossini talks about why government pisses away your money and doesn't care what you think. Amy Dingman will talk to us about teaching your kid to cook as part of a homeschool life, or in any life. Patrick Rohrman will talk about MagnaCut steel and why you should care. What is MagnaCut? You're going to find out. Tim, the tool man cook, will talk about choosing a battery booster compressor combo. And Nick Ferguson will talk about planting trees to form a windbreak. And I have a segment today called, when you ask someone for advice, be prepared to hear things that you didn't want to hear And I will tell the story of a, I'm going to assume, young man, I hope he's young, that wrote me a very demanding email. I alluded to this on Wednesday. And I'm not really going to pick on the guy. And it's not really about him. If it was only about him, I would only say my things to him. This is about, I believe there's probably a significant segment of this audience at any one time that needs to understand this mental state that people get into and why it is, well, it's the real quicksand. You know, when I was a kid I thought quicksand was gonna be a lot bigger of a problem for me than it ended up being. Some of you are too young to know what I'm talking about. Uh it was even for me it was mostly reruns and stuff, but like, you know, uh, the 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 Long Ranger and all of these you know, Gilligan's Island and all like everybody got stuck in quicksand all the time. You know? Um and, and of course that is just a uh it's just a fantasy thing easy to write into a A situational comedy or something like that, right? But, there is a quicksand in life. There's actually many different versions of quicksand in life. And the wrong mental state about moving yourself from the place you don't want to be to the place you want to go, that is one of the most deceitful and dangerous forms of quicksand in modern life. With that... Let me uh, remind you about our two sponsors of the day today. Number one, Paul Wheaton's seminar that he did in conjunction with Alan Booker. Would you like to grow plants that are resistant to disease, maybe even completely immune to disease and pests in your local area? It's something you can do, but it's beyond just saving seeds. It's about understanding how plants form symbiotic relationships with with the microbiology in your own soil. And use things like get this, bacteria and viruses do exchange genetic information as they develop their seeds to their next prodigy. That sounds insane. It sounds very complicated. It's actually not that hard to understand and it's even easier to do the right things once you know it to start building land races of seeds that are honey badgers. Indestructible land races of seeds for your own property. And how much does this this seminar cost? This is like you know, this is a college-level two-hour seminar from one of the smartest people on the planet about plant genetics. It's 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Link in the show notes today. Next up, John Bush's free seminar, Opt Out of the CBDC Trap. That's coming, uh, not this coming week, the following week. It's all week long, 11 to 1 every day. Uh, and you don't have to pay a dime for it. I believe my day is Tuesday. Again, not this coming week, the following week. Uh, I'm on Tuesday. I'm up on deck, but you can learn all about it in the link in the show notes. We're going to go through everything and talk about what is really coming. If you have no plan for how to deal with CBDCs, then you need a plan for how to deal with CBDCs. Even if you don't adopt ours, you need to understand what the threat is. And the threat is becoming more real and more known. Last night, Tucker Carlson talked about it on Fox News. Now, I'm not one of these people that stays glued to Fox News and my orange man or anything like that. But when they start talking about something like this, that means you're going to start seeing and hearing more about it in the mainstream across time. And I'm going to tell you that in our discussion, I'm not just going to tell you what to do about it. I'm actually, and I'm waiting till this the first time that I will publicly reveal my belief in how they will sell CBDCs to the American people, not to the rest of the world. There's different ways to do it, but to the American people, it's actually one of. The, you think it's the hardest place to sell them? It's the easiest, because we're so damn divided, and I can say two different things to two total different groups of people and have them both grab onto it. And then fight with each other while they both fight to get to the same place, i.e., Illuminatus Trilogy all over again. And I will not tell you what it is today, but I will tell you, if you show up for my segment at least, of the workshop. And, again, it's completely free, and you can watch it from your own home. Uh, more information in today's show and notes. With that, let's go ahead and uh, jump on into it. Ron Paul, Dan McAdams, and Chris Rossini in that order. And I'll have some thoughts when they're done before we go to the next segment.
3: I think we live in an age where governments are, uh, are, are lying through their teeth. You know, probably governments always lie. But, you know, it's epidemic now when you when you look at well, how many lies were we told during the COVID crisis? How many lies do we have? Have we been told throughout the century for getting us into unnecessary wars? So the government lies. But the system itself is a big lie. The paper money is a lie because they claim that oh we we know how to manage it. But they never blame the Fed. They They have to blame something else. And they limp along. But the economy comes more fractured and eventually uh, everybody catches on and then they reject it. And that's why I talk about the hegemony, the the hegemony of the dollar will end. And quite frankly, there's a lot of arguing arguments now put out there and saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I agree it's coming. But I don't know tomorrow, next week or what? Because there are too many subjective reasons why these uh, there's a final collapse of the currency. But I I, I have no doubts that will happen. And uh, yes, you say, well, you just think of all that savings I did over these last 30, 40 years. Uh, you didn't need it. There was never a total collapse. Well, there has been a total collapse. The dollar has lost 98% of its value from the 1920s. It used, gold used to be $20 an ounce. Now it's almost $2,000 an ounce. So if you have one thing that we should have to protect ourselves against this monstrosity, as well as get us out of it once, uh, once the bad times start, and that is the idea of letting people have their freedom back again. The founders understood that. They got us started in the right direction. But there was a qualification they had made. Several of the founders mentioned. Well, you know, it's a good constitution. We did our very best, but it's not going to be worth much if the people approach this in an immoral fashion. And I'm afraid we're at that point where we're we're seeing that uh, morality is is not uh, not part of the equation. But again, as you mentioned, Matt Taibbi did another great job. And what this did was
1: absolutely blow the lid off of the Hamilton 68 dashboard. That was something that was claimed by this neocon organization called the Alliance for Securing Democracy. This was a tool that monitored over 600 Twitter accounts that were Russian bots. They were Russian agents. They were doing the bidding of Russia to help elect Donald Trump. And that's what this whole thing was about. And it became the definitive source for all of the Russian influence. And Taibi exposed it by digging into the communications of Twitter, let's look at this next one, these are a couple of his tweets in this series, obviously we can't cover all of them, but here's some important things. Twitter executives, now this is, tw- this is pre-Musk cleaning of Twitter, so Twitter executives were in a unique position to recreate Hamilton's list, because again, the Hamilton 68 would not release the 600 uh, Twitter, file, uh, Twitter uh, users <coughs> that they followed, nor would they reveal their methodology, which should be two huge red flags, okay? no no so Twitter executives were in a unique position to recreate Hamilton's list reverse engineering it from the site's request for Twitter data concerned about the deluge of Hamilton based news stories they did so and what they found shocked them go to the next one if you can they recreated the list and what they found what Twitter found these accounts they concluded are neither strongly Russian nor strongly bots no evidence to support the statement ...that the dashboard is a finger on the pulse of Russian Information Ops... ...hardly illuminating a massive influence operation. And one more, Dr. Paul, before I throw it back... ...because here's also from Taibi. In layman's terms, the Hamilton 68 barely had any Russians. In fact, apart from a few RT accounts... ...it's mostly full of ordinary Americans, Canadians, and British. It was a scam, he continues... Instead of tracking how Russia influenced American attitudes, Hamilton 68 simply collected a handful of mostly real, mostly American accounts and described their organic conversations as Russian scheming. If we want
4: constitutional government, and I know that there are a ton of people out there, because when we put those clips onto social media of Dr. Paul talking about constitutional government, you know, they get so many views. So people are hungry for it. They just don't know how to get there. But in order to get there, one of the critical things is we must have sound money. Without sound money, there is no way we're getting limited government at any time because they can just print money to expand their themselves and their power. When you have sound money, they must tax you. If they want to send $100 billion to Ukraine, they have to tax you. You have to agree to it and, and cough up the money to them. Right now, they don't, they don't ask us. They don't care. As long as they can get away with it, they'll send a hundred billion, two hundred billion, whatever they want. Uh, because they just print the money. They don't have to come to us for our opinions or our money. We're just going to go to the supermarket and pay three times the price for everything. You know, uh, because they know that people would object. That's another reason they don't want sound money. They know we would never go for sending a hundred billion dollars if we had to physically take it out of our pockets and, and cough it up to the government. So, if we want constitutional government, if we want to get rid of this nonsense, which so many people do, we need sound money, and the best way to get there is to audit and end the Fed.
2: So let's go through that a bit. Um, the government lies, yeah, but but Ron is right. Governments have always lied. government will always lie. government must lie. Government is force. And government is where a a small number of people tell other people how to live. And it is impossible that an entity that uses force to maintain control over a vast majority of individuals can tell all those individuals the truth, because there's a lot of truths people don't want to hear. And you need a divided nation to control a majority with a minority. You can't have a unified people with a unified uh, code of ethics and a unified morality, and control them through force, then you have to actually get true consent. So the the further that government drifts from governing at the consent of the governed, then the more deceitful the government must be in order to maintain power. And this is a vicious cycle, and the more I study history, the more I see it, the more I see where we're at in this pattern, and it's not a good place to be. And And, and it is actually... Unfortunately, really simple to understand. So once you see it, you know what's going on, and there's not a lot you can do about it. And I've seen this repeated in things like, you know, well-known empires like the Roman Empire, in you know, city-state uh, monarchies here in, in North and South America among Native American uh, cultures, like the Maya or the Mexia or the Inca um, dynasties in China, all of it. You reach a point where government grows so large and has so much control and seeks so much more power that government's own actions begin to become detrimental to the well-being of the people. In other words, problems arise because governments collectively can do a lot more than individuals because they steal resources and they indenture servitude, etc., and they can make massive change. And sometimes they'll get it right-ish, and sometimes they'll get it wrong. And when they get it wrong, the consequences are severe. But at the point where they've gotten to that tipping point where the real problems they've created begin to become evident, the governments are always given a choice. And that choice is C to fixing the problem or C to maintaining control and power, which is way bigger than it needs to be to fix the problem. And what choice do you think they make every time? Maintaining and controlling their power. So th- to fix the problem would require stepping back, admitting where you're wrong, downsizing certain things, getting rid of things, and, and fixing the problem, the underlying thing, so that you could actually have the government remain in power. But instead, since they see only to their power, they become more and more deceitful. The problems that underlie the situation become worse and worse. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a gangrenous wound. Eventually the limb falls off, and the government crumbles. Guess where we are? They they keep putting more Band-Aids on more holes in the body, all of which are infected with gangrene. That's where I think we are. Um, moving on, again, Dan's point about complete lies, about interference in the election being from Russia, and this being totally deceitful, is all true. But the bigger story is nobody cares. All the people that knew it was happening care, but they already knew it was happening, even though they didn't have proof and all the people that said it wasn't happening, even with proof right in front of them, either still choose not to believe it, or they always knew, but they just didn't care because it benefited their side. Because we're in the moral decay of a society. We are on the downhill run as a civilization. And we need to rebuild before we go into total collapse. And we need to not try to fix what's already collapsing. We have all, it's like being on a ship that's sinking you have tons of material on that ship and if instead of arguing about how fast the ship's going down if some people on the ship got together and started fabricating lifeboats, by the time the ship sinks they just float away and and, and most of the people are still on the ship fighting with each other, that's literally where we are in society now which brings me to Chris's thing love what he had to say except the end, sorry Chris we're not going to audit the Fed and even if we did, it wouldn't matter, because of what Dan was talking about, and because of what Dr. Paul was talking, because of what I was just talking, about. it won't matter. Let's imagine that we get to audit the Fed, and we find out the Fed's been lying, and there's a bunch of money missing. Do you think anybody's going to care? Do you know how much money we figured out was missing inside the Department of Defense the day before 9 /11 happened, and nobody cares? Do you think it'll matter? If we audit the Fed, no matter what we find out, all that's going to happen is the people that are already opposed to the Fed will say, see, look, and the people that are pro Fed and pro government and pro giant state and pro CBDC will make excuses for it all. There is no longer a case that we can win over enough to shift the momentum of society. We have to start building lifeboats aboard the Titanic. We've hit the iceberg. We've cut the giant hole, the hole in the hole. Okay? Hole in the hole. We've done that. We've ripped it along its side. The ship is taking on water. And there's enough material on the ship that we can make enough lifeboats, enough life rafts, enough to sail away and start a new life with everybody that wants to go. But neither the reality... Nor our own morals will allow us to force anybody who doesn't want to get off from going down with the ship. I don't care if we ever audit the Federal Reserve because I don't believe if we ever audit the Federal Reserve it will change one damn thing. Look at all the things that have come out and turned out to be true. And maybe you felt better. Maybe you went and told your uncle or your uncle's former roommate or whoever... About it and said, See? And that person said, I don't believe it or it doesn't matter. Admit it. That's where we are. We have departed from a rational viewpoint of the world for the majority of people. Does that mean it can't turn around? No, but it means that we can't try to turn it around. The only way you can turn it around is to begin to build that which replaces it for yourself. And as the boat takes on more water and the water starts to feel cold on the feet, maybe some of those people decide to climb on board with us and take the journey with us. That's where I think we're at. Moving on, totally different thing. One of the most important life skills that there is, and one of the most lacking life skills in America, and I think it directly correlates to how sick this country is, is knowing how to cook your own damn food. And being able to add some water to a pot, boil it, and throw some stovetop stuffing or some ramen noodles in it, That is fine as a first step to learn how to make food hot, but it's not cooking. So if you want to learn to teach kids how to cook, why don't we turn to someone who's been in the homeschool business for a long time, Amy Dingman from A Farmish Kind of Life, and hear what she has to say about that idea.
5: Hey everybody, this is Amy Dingman from the Farmish Kind of Life podcast, and today I'm here to talk to you about teaching your kids to cook, which I hope you are doing. I remember way back in the day, I was learning algebra and I remember asking my parents, I don't know how many times, when am I ever going to use this, right? When am I ever going to use this? No one ever asks that about cooking or baking or anything having to do with food because everybody eats. Eating is what keeps us alive and cooking is a life skill. So I hope you are teaching your kids to cook and bake and putting your kids up to the counter Even if they have to be standing on a chair to reach that counter, cooking is important. But today I'm going to tell you a few things that I think we forget to teach our kids when it comes to cooking or things we assume that they know just because we know it and we don't remember not knowing it and we don't think to point it out. And these are things my boys pointed out to me when they were learning to cook way back in the day. So number one, make sure you are teaching your kids cooking and baking terms, okay? Cream the butter and sugar does not mean add cream to the butter and sugar, which is what my kid thought that meant the first time he saw it in a cookbook. Mixing, beating, combining, folding, those all mean different things to the recipe, right? And if you happen to be using old cookbooks or old family recipes that are written down, a lot of those books assume that you know cooking terms. They will assume that you know the order to mix the ingredients, Old cookbooks sometimes would assume that you knew the temperature something needed to be baked at, or they'd say things like slow or moderate oven. Newer cookbooks or online recipes might say specifically that butter needs to be softened or you need all the ingredients at room temperature, but not all of them will, and old cookbooks especially will not. So make sure that you are explaining those terms and those words to your kids. Another thing that's really important to point out to your kids is identifying or converting measurements or converting ingredients I spent a lot of time in the kitchen. I know by sight which cup is the one-cup measuring cup and which is the half-cup measuring cup. And I didn't realize that I just knew this until my kids a long time ago were trying to make brownies from scratch, and they needed a one-third cup measuring cup. And that was when I realized that all the markings on our measuring cups were worn off. Sometimes we are so used to things in our kitchens and and what's in them that we don't realize someone else doesn't know all the ins and outs and quirks of how we do things the other thing that kind of falls under this category is there are some ingredients in recipes that you can use a little less of or a little more of and it's okay you don't always have to be precise sometimes cooking is a science and sometimes it's an art and experimenting in the kitchen is great right but you have to learn what's okay to experiment with and and what you kind of got to stick with but that that's not an innate inborn knowledge it takes a lot of experimenting which means you need to spend a lot of Time in the kitchen, so make sure you're letting your kids spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Next one, make sure you read through the whole recipe before you use it. And I know it sounds like one of those school activities where they make you read through the whole worksheet and do a bunch of steps, only to find out that if you would have read through before you actually started, you only had to do the last step on the page, right? But this is real life in the kitchen, and this set of directions actually matters. So number one, make sure you read through the the recipe because sometimes not all the ingredients are listed in the ingredient list. And sometimes this happens in old cookbooks. I remember when my boys made bread here using a recipe that listed every single ingredient except for salt in the ingredient list. And then somewhere in the directions they snuck in salt. And they're like, what? Do you know what it's like to have bread without salt? It's not very good. If you're still eating bread, it's not very good. Um, but had they read through the recipe first, they would have known that we needed some salt to make it. The other thing that falls under this is sometimes a method of cooking or other important information isn't stated until the end. I remember there was one time my boys were making a pork chop recipe that was actually meant to finish in the crock pot for a few hours for some reason. But the recipe wasn't listed in the Crock-Pot section, and so they went to work on the recipe thinking it was an oven or a grill recipe and then found out at the end, oh, we're supposed to finish this in the Crock-Pot. How crazy is that? All of that to say, make sure you read through the recipe. Something else that's important to teach your kids, and it's something we, we don't think about when we think about cooking, it's that thing about prep time and serve time and getting it all on the table at the same time. Because at some point in your child's cooking career, they're going to move from can you make this salad To Can you make an entire spaghetti dinner tonight? And dinner means the main course and the sides and the dessert and all that. And it's awesome when your kids get to that point, right? But there's math required to figure out how to put all the finished dishes on the table at one time, right? If you're making chicken, when do you start the mashed potatoes? If you're planning to serve pie for dessert, when do you make that? It's it's an interesting kind of math that they don't ever really teach us, Right. Another thing to point out is make sure your kids know where the ingredients and supplies are for what you're making. Part of making the meal is finding the ingredients. And sometimes when we're teaching our kids to cook, it's very common for mom and dad to collect the ingredients and set out the recipe and say, here, make this. It's an entirely different thing for your kid to have to figure out if they have enough oil and garlic powder or ground beef not to mention they have to take the ground beef out of the freezer to thaw if necessary. So there's there's different things that come into this cooking that is bigger than what we normally think to teach our kids. Another thing to remember to teach your kids is which kitchen tools go with the task at hand. A beater or a stand mixer is good for some things. And for other things, a wooden spoon is better, right? Sometimes the choice of the tool is going to change the consistency of what you're making. If you don't have a vegetable peeler, can you use a paring knife? Maybe. Can you use a larger knife for a smaller job? Not always. These, these are all great things to talk about when you're teaching your kids to cook. Like I said before, everybody eats, so it only makes sense that everybody knows how to prepare food. So I don't care how little your kids are, if they can stand on a chair and reach the counter, I really, really encourage you to have your kids in the kitchen, seeing how food is made and being part of the process. They're never not going to eat in their life, right? So they better know how to prepare food. That's what I've got for you today. Make sure you send more questions to Jack about homeschooling or parenting or family life. Feel free to reach out to me at amy at com. Also, if you want to head over to Amazon and check out my Homeschool Highway series, I'm super excited about that right now. It's not your average books about homeschooling. I've written them with Honesty and humor and heart and sass, of course, because I cannot do anything without a little sass, right? Thanks for uh, listening to me today. Send your questions in and have a great day, you guys.
2: So my addition here is, understand, I have no issue with recipes. But I have an issue with recipes, and here's what I mean by that. I don't think a person should be inhibited from cooking something because they don't have a recipe, especially if it's not baking. When you get into baking and certain other forms of cooking, you're into a level of chemistry, and if the ratios aren't at least really close, then things don't work. Uh, an example of that to a degree would be bread that amy mentioned really though would be something like a souffle you want it to get rice it has to be done in the right like there are some things that if you're trying to do that stuff it needs to be done that way it's not the majority of what i cook for my a, a long shot mostly what i cook is meat and vegetables and occasionally some tubers like potatoes or uh, ground nuts or something like that so if i give you some ingredients and, and and your kids are learning so don't think you can just do this to a kid that has no experience and but it's where you want to be taking them i'll give you an example so my buddy neil was a hell of a cook really great home gourmet cook he was trying to make a point to somebody ended up working no way you know it would do it before he tried it but he said to me he said jack i want you to cook i want it to be a meal but i'm going to give you one ingredient tell me what you would cook so And then he wrote down something on a piece of paper and put it face down. He looked at me and said, I give you apples. And I said, you know, I would probably do something with pork chops and then do it like a seared-off pork chop with like a, a chunky applesauce. It's not really an applesauce, like an apple reduction because those pair together well with some sort of a side dish and whatever. And when I was done and this guy Peter was sitting there listening to, it, goes, yeah, well, that sounds reasonable. He flips the paper over and it just said pork on it. Because that, apples would naturally lead someone with any experience in cooking at all who was making a meal and looking for a protein toward pork. Now, he could have been wrong. I could have come up with other things to do, but it was a natural connection. And there's something to what we call culinary intuition. And so I think it's important with kids to to work with recipes so they can gain confidence. But also, like, when she was talking about reading the whole recipe first, I was also thinking, like, well, let's read that. And when a kid gets to something they really don't like, say radishes or something, well, do you think we need to put radishes in it? And then, well, maybe if we take that out, is there something we could put in that would fill the role the radishes? Like And start learning to do just substitutions initially. But also when they say, well, I want to make, and they say the thing, well, before we even look for recipes, maybe we just figure out what goes in the thing and see if we can come up with our own. Or maybe we, we and then maybe we sanity check, check that against some recipes. You see what I'm saying? Because this is why, if you if you deal with people who are great home cooks, they may use some recipes and have some recipes, but generally they're cooking on the fly based on what they have, because in the end, there's only so many ways to cook piece of meat. And there's only so many ways to cook a vegetable. And there's only so many vegetables that indeed should be cooked. I don't generally cook lettuce, for example. But I might wilt arugula or spinach. And I'm probably not going to do raw potato. So like, there are certain fundamentals. And once you understand them, you can have somebody say, well, here's an ingredient. What would you pair it with? And there's probably two or three things that are commonly going to be paired with that. And as you teach that and train that into a youngster, you're developing someone that can cook that way versus people that get what I call parsley disease. Parsley disease is, I, I use this for more than cooking, but cooking is the analog where they get a recipe for chicken soup. Chicken soup recipe says you use fresh parsley. They don't have any fresh parsley, so i don't make chicken soup. There's a ton of things you can do. One, you just omit it. it parsley's great in chicken soup, but it's not there. It's not there. You use the leaf tops from your celery if you have that, which is probably going to be in your chicken soup, so you can reserve those and get a very similar characteristic. If you're doing carrots and they have tops, you can use the carrot tops. Do you have dried parsley, even though it said fresh parsley? Could you just take it in a little bit of an Italian direction if you had thyme and rosemary instead of the parsley? Right? There's there's so many options other than just not making it because you don't have it or waiting till tomorrow when you can go get it. And when we become hooked on the recipe idea, we lose that ability. So I like using both because I've learned to make some really cool things using people's recipes. But in general, what will end up happening is I'll fine tune that to my own technique. And that's what I'm trying to train into my grandkids right now. So great segment. Just you know, a way to kind of think about taking it to a higher level in time. Next up, Patrick Rohrman from MT Knives on Magna Cut Steel.
6: Hey guys, this is Patrick Rohrman with MT Knives coming to you today with today's expert counsel segment. Today we're going to talk about steel. CPM MagnaCut to be exact. So you guys may have noticed that I've switched over on the Genesis knife from XHP to MagnaCut. We're going to talk a little bit about why I did that and what is MagnaCut and why I made the switch. So CPM MagnaCut is a premium stainless steel made for knives. It was developed by Dr. Laren Thomas. His father is a well known steel smith, Devin Thomas. He makes some beautiful Damascus knife or steel for knives. He's a I believe on the master one of the master bladesmiths. So Laren has been in the knife industry. He's you've grown up in it. And he went along the path of uh, studying metal and metallurgy. So he's got a degree in metallurgy. And he works in the automotive steel industry. He's got a great website called Knife Steel Nerds. If you want to dive deep into metallurgy and steel and, you know, all that cutting. And he's got some really great images of steel uh, on his website i've been following his website for many years it's got got some great articles so if you want to check it out knife steel nerds what are the pros to cpm MagnaCut and why did i switch so i've had a problem getting xhp i don't know if it's supply chain issues or what it is but um i haven't been able to get xhp and i actually you know kind of caused a a delay and having some knives last year i decided i had to make a switch and decide what i was going to do so i went with uh, cpm Magnicut. i was familiar with it i knew when it was launching um, like i said i followed his website knew about this deal it's been out for a little while now and people have been raving about how great it is so i figured i'd give it a try One of the pros is it's a high toughness high wear resistance and high corrosion resistance what is the con well it's challenging to sharpen i'll tell you with the internet and information when i started making knives it seemed like very not very many people actually knew how to sharpen knives i feel like the number of people today that knows how to sharpen a knife and sharpen a knife well is just tenfold what it was when i started making knives there's new steels and the thing is is sharpening is very basic however there is some caveats to that when you get into some of these premium steels they don't respond as well to being sharpened without the right tools for the job so this uh, CPM magnicut works best you know with like a diamond type abrasive and it's just it's just not going to be quite as easy to sharpen. Uh, it can be done. It's just a little more challenging. The advantage of that is it's going to hold an edge far longer. Um, you know, with every pro, there is a, a con. There's trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs with this steel is it's going to be more difficult for the average user to sharpen. Not impossible, but more difficult. So <coughs> CPM... Is a uh, particle metal process it's uh, much like XHP it's a powdered metallurgy so they're kind of you know they're 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 developed pretty much in the same way magna meaning Latin for great or awesome this this steel um, I it's still a little early I got my first ones in December finished and I'll tell you sharpening them I can tell a difference the the burr holds on it takes a lot more stropping to remove the burr and I can definitely tell the wear resistance in this steel so I'm excited to test it give it give it a go Um, so far I think it's going to turn out to be an excellent steel so if you guys have any experience with it feel free to leave a comment I've been pretty busy. We are filming a new sharpening video here last week. I'll have announcements coming out about that soon. I hope your guys' year is off to a good start. Mine is. Once again, thank you for listening in. If you have a question, feel free to shoot it to me or Jack at the Survival Podcast, and I'd be more than happy to answer them for you. Have a great day.
2: Yeah, on my experience has just simply been with knife steel as a whole, the better the edge retention, the more work you gotta do to restore an edge once you lose it, and the easier the steel to work, the less time it retains the edge. And I, I think we're all looking for that balance. And uh either you become a better sharpener or you carry an easy sharpened steel. I think the best approach though is to, you know, get your knives made from the best steel you can for the task and then frequently sharpen a knife. It's much easier to maintain an edge than to restore an edge. That's that's been my uh, experience over my years. Uh, Next up, we have a question on uh, battery booster packs
0: uh, for Tim Toolman Cook. Hey, guys. Toolman Tim here, coming back at you from the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Back to answer another question for the expert council. So let's dive right in. Today's question says, Hey Tim, can you recommend a good jump starter power pack to keep store in the car? Details, I'm looking for a high quality, easy to use jump starter power pack for the wife's car. I want it to have high capacity battery and an air compressor as well. Since it is for the wife's car, it must be simple to use as possible. My budget's about 200 bucks. I live in the sticks of Michigan's farmland, so it has to be able to handle the cold and the hot temperatures of being stored in the vehicle's trunk. The car is typically stored in an unheated attached garage, but at times, the vehicle could be outside for extended periods of time. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the great work, Jerry. Well, Jerry, thanks for the kind words. This is something I'm actually working on right at the moment, and I'm kind of excited. I've been playing with a uh, kind of an all-in-one unit lately. So first off, guys, I got to slide back a little bit, because for a long time, I was always a proponent of an item just doing one thing and doing it damn well. So I really like carrying, say, the DeWalt compressor with me and then some booster cables or a a boost pack or something like that or the DeWalt inflation station. But these all-in-one kits have come around and they're really pretty good. So currently I am testing the CAT brand. 1200 that the model numbers that uh, cat 1200 is what it is and it basically looks like a plastic encased battery what i love about it is the thing just works i've been testing it in the cold we we're able to boost a car after it was kind of in the mid minus teens recently no issue with battery life i was able to go out and top up all four of my wife's tires in the kind of mid minus teen celsius as well so it held up really really good It has a compressor on one side. I've done a side-by-side comparison with the DeWalt inflation station, and it is a little slower, but it's about two-thirds the speed of the DeWalt. It also has a boost function in it. I was able to take it over and boost a vehicle that had been sitting in a snowbank all winter so far. No issues whatsoever. It also has uh, USB-A and USB-C ports on the front, which means you can plug in your devices. It has a 100-watt Uh, AC plug that you can plug right into the front. It even has wireless charging capabilities on the other side. I really, really like it. A lot of people said for the weight of it, it must be a lithium ion. Well, because I wanted to, I tore the thing apart and it is just your your typical lead acid battery. So there's that. But... The big thing is they recommend, no matter what with these items, if you're going to leave them in the cold, it is totally worth once a month taking the thing out and giving it a top-up for a charge. Just something to think about. But I love it. Now, the new design, the new model design, seems to only be available at Costco in Canada right at the moment, but the older... Cat brand booster slash compressor pack is still available at Costco in the U.S. I'm guessing you're going to see the new design soon. It, the older one was a little bit bigger. It's yellow, and you kind of pick it up and carry it around, uh, whereas the the black one, the newer one that I have, is uh, a square. Just looks like a little battery pack. Now, there is a DeWalt one out there. Somebody's probably screaming at the recording right now, like, what about DeWalt? Well, I haven't tested the DeWalt one But the reviews online and talking to other people who have used it, it's kind of hit and miss. Not great. I've had really good luck with these, you know, third-party branded cat products so far. I've used, uh, well, their socks, their ratchet straps, and now the booster pack. And so far, I've really enjoyed them. But this cat brand booster pack has worked really, really well. Holds up perfectly in the cold, but the big recommendation from... The company is to make sure you pull it out and top up the charge once a month, which can be a pain, but when you're dealing with cold in Michigan, which is very similar to the cold that I deal with on the prairies, it doesn't hurt to do that exact thing. One final thing about this one versus the old style cat booster pack. The old style had the cables built right in. The new style is a more compact form factor, but the cables don't have anywhere for onboard storage. So what I decided to do was they have a long enough cord that I'm able to tie them into themselves on the handle of the booster pack. So I hope that helps. Uh, Now, if anybody's out there thinking, hey, you know, I'm looking for a good booster pack as well that doesn't have a compressor and all those other functions, well, the three brands to look at on Amazon that I have looked at in the past and had good reviews and good results with uh, Gulu, uh, G-O-O-L-O-O, iMazing, which is like amazing but with an i, and Noco, N-O-C-O. I have the most experience with Noco and had really good luck. But on Amazon, if you stick to those brands and you look at something that has the features you're looking for with the star review and rating that is uh, a good review, you'll be all set. So I hope that helps, guys. Uh, tis the season for, you know, needing to boost vehicles this time of year, and finally, definitely keep the questions coming, because I have been getting some killer good questions lately from you guys, and I always appreciate taking the time to answer them. So, hope that helps, and if you want to find me, toolmantim.co, that's the place to go, and uh, if you want to come by and check out the live podcast, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, drop by, interact, ask questions, always have you know, good topics, or uh, some really interesting guests. So that's it for me this week, guys. Not sure when these episodes will air, but I'm recording them uh, in the middle of December 2022. So for all of you out there, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and of course, a Happy New Year. So I've
2: had debates with people about these types of equipment as to whether or not they really have a place. Um, some say, well, you should never be riding around with a vehicle where the battery's near death anyway. You should keep it well maintained. And, and that's all good and well until one of your kids turns your freaking lights on when you're not looking and it's the middle of the day so you don't notice or something like that. Or you just ended up with a bad cell that you didn't catch or any other reason that you're Vehicle ends up dead, because the other recommendation is if you just carry a really good set of jumper cables around, you'll be able to help somebody or get somebody to help you, and you won't need this thing that you can't really rely on because they do go dead or whatever. But here's an example of one of these helping somebody else. I, I have a similar model. I have the one Tim recommended in, in the audio notes. But I was one day walking out of a store, like a big department store type place. And there was a lady pretty upset her car wouldn't start, and I went over and talked to her, and she needed help. And I'm like, I just think you need to jump, and you can get home or get to a shop. The thing was, she was pulled in, not into the regular part of the parking lot, but where you have, like, the parking lot, and then you have the, the, the good parking that's right next to the store. And she had vehicles on both sides of her far enough that even with a really good pair of jumper cables like I have, they couldn't reach... And if I'd have pulled up behind her, I'm blocking traffic in the thruway. So there's always the potential. First, a person or vehicle you're trying to assist, it's difficult to get another vehicle close enough for a good jump. So by having something like this, I was able to just hook it up and let it sit for a minute and just wait, and it'll be all right. And a few minutes later, vehicle started up. And I explained to her, like, we don't know why it died, so if you shut it off, it may not start again. So either go all the way home if your husband or whatever, you're going to figure out what to do about it, or take it directly to a shop and don't shut it off. And so I was able to help somebody that I, it wasn't, I couldn't have helped, it would have been a lot more difficult. You've been waiting around for somebody to move a car, or or running four ways and blocking traffic and getting yelled at by a cop or something, and being able to have a portable booster was really really helpful. And having built-in air compressors, I, I recommend you carry a dedicated air compressor. But if you if all you had is something like that and it's enough to put enough air in a tire to get your ass off the road so you're not changing a flat on the side of the road. It's worth itself in spades. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead. I got one more before my segment today on planting a windbreak from Nick Ferguson. Nick Ferguson here from
7: HomegrownLiberty.com here with another expert counsel segment. But first, I have a last-minute opportunity for a Central Texas listener to grab a consulting slot, maybe two listeners. I have a possible day available, possible, can't promise it, to someone between Houston and San Marcos on Friday the 24th. And possibly another window of opportunity to someone between the DFW metro area and Tyler, Texas, just kind of in that corridor. I don't mind going north or south of the metro area on my way back towards Louisiana on Tuesday the 28th of this month. If you're interested, you better get me an email quick before someone grabs the time slot. On to the question, and this week it's about planting a windbreak. Sorry, this one's been in my inbox for a little while, Dylan. I have a bunch of questions from you guys, which is excellent. Keep them coming. Anyways, uh, let me just read it off for you real quick. Hi, Nick. We are planning a windbreak for our retreat space we are opening this summer. What are some considerations when planting hybrid poplar, hybrid willow adjacent to a soybean field, We will be ordering a bunch of two-foot trees from a local nursery to install as a windbreak, forage for our animals. The ground near the field is relatively dry. What would be the best method for planting? Drill bit, auger, disc behind a tractor, shovel. The soil type is heavy clay, so I'm not sure if the auger will work. We're in zone 5B in Wisconsin. Hopefully I have enough details there. Thanks, Dylan. Great question, and definitely one I can help you with. Uh, I'll just cut right to the chase on this one as it's relatively easy question to answer. And I think I might have answered a question from you last year on sawdust in a chicken run, but I could be wrong. Uh, Anyways, the best way out of those options that you listed is going to plant them in a furrow. Just open up a furrow in the ground with a tractor. You can use a disc. You might have to go over it a few times to get deep enough um, And then even then, you might have to get out there with a shovel to kind of open up spots here and there. Um, And I just stick them in the ground down to the root crown. And you'll want to make sure that you water them in. Now, here's the thing. They don't have to go in there straight up and down. You could put them in there sideways, and they're just going to grow a little crooked for the first year, but most likely you're going to coppice them anyways. And after that first year it really doesn't matter if they got planted a little bit sideways. So I wouldn't worry about making sure they're perfectly upright. Just make sure you get their roots in the ground down to the root crown. Um, I'm guessing you have a tractor or a neighbor with one, so that should be relatively easy. It'll go way faster than using one of those augers. And honestly, if you have a neighbor with a a disc, you might have a neighbor with a... um, Oh, what's it called? It's a ripper. It's basically just one big spike, uh, like a subsoiler. Uh, You might have a a neighbor with a subsoiler. So if you have one of those, then what they could do is they could just drop that subsoiler down and kind of open up a very narrow furrow, basically just a crack in the ground that you could drop the trees in. And if you just have them drive a straight line, then you can have a nice straight line of trees. That would be nice. Uh, That would be way faster than using an auger, and it should work way better than any kind of a drilling motion, uh, whether that's like with a tractor auger or um, with just a handheld drill auger, since you're going to have loose soil afterwards with uh, the ripper, the subsoiler, or um, a disc. Um, With an auger, you're actually going to kind of compact the sidewalls of those holes and then you might have loose soil with pockets of air afterwards and uh, you know that's going to be much less chance of that hole staying full of air um, and also running into a problem with circling and girdling roots when those roots go laterally and they hit the sidewall of that compacted heavy clay they can turn sideways and just kind of circle around and then eventually kill the tree not a good thing Um, So the main concern I'd have with the soybean field is going to be overspray and drift from pesticides. Most likely it's going to be glyphosate. You're probably going to have some losses. That's just the name of the game when you're next to a field like that. There's going to be overspray. They try to not overspray, but guess what? It's just going to happen. I'd be amazed if you got away with it without that ever happening. Uh, you might even want to speak to the farmer and see if you can work with him on like, when his schedule is or just at least get notified when he's going to be spraying so that you can go and cover the trees with something like a frost blanket, fabric, or even black plastic on the day that he's spraying. As long as you can keep a little bit of that spray off of them, Even if you're covering up with black plastic and the trees are like two or three foot tall, you might be able to get enough protection on them to get them past that overspray window. Um, I'd keep them planted thick and wide so if there's bad overspray day and you lose half of them, you can replant with cuttings from the survivors. In fact, you might even want to plant a handful of those trees somewhere else that's protected just in case you lose them all. If you have a few of them protected somewhere closer to a house or something, then you can always replant with cuttings from those protected trees. Anyways, um, just uh, again, remember if you're listening to this and you're somewhere in Central Texas and you've been wanting to have me out, um, I know I've probably dropped the ball and forgotten one or two people that have asked me in the past. I feel like there's someone in Central Texas that was wanting to have me out. Um, This might be your opportunity. I'm really not going to have much opportunity until like after june to get back to texas texas i think um so if you're interested now's going to be pretty much your only chance um i guess that's it i hope that helps you out dylan uh i'm nick ferguson from homegrown liberty do good things
2: so great stuff as always from nick ferguson um again my segment today, I'm gonna I'm gonna read an email to you that came from to me from a young man named John. Some of you are gonna go, what an entitled little dick, and some of you are gonna go, well, I understand where he's coming from, and some of you will fall somewhere in the middle. I am not doing this to pick on John. I am not saying John is 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 entitled, but he, he kind of reeks of it here to at least a degree in the mindset he was in when he wrote this email. And what I'll tell you is that John had joined the MSB about five minutes before he sent this email, and in some back and forth, he felt that entitled him to to have me do what he said. I promptly gave him his money back. Um, This is no, hey, Jack, no nothing, no, my name is John, just straight into it. He wrote, First show your listeners need is on how to deal with stupid, anti-alternative building codes. Not everyone is fortunate to live in Texas. I can't afford Texas yet, I can afford Northern Nevada. Second show needed, how to get food independent in trees in arid cold places without a well because wells are expensive as hell. Third show needed, proven non-gimmick, non-investment ways to make side money in an apartment while stuck in cities to expedite your move out. Your shows often falsely assume your supporters are homeowners or have a lot of excessive income like you do. I worked hard my whole life and had so much bad, unfair shit happen to me, I don't. That's his email. That's the whole thing. Basically, I wrote him back. Well, I'll tell you what I said because it's here. Let me just pull that up real quick. I said, okay, so your tone of the uh, on this is one of entitlement and major attitude defect. Neither makes me want to help you or think I can get bent. And we had some back and forth from there. And like I said, he got his MSB immediately refunded as though that was going to change my life in some way. Uh, long-term listeners to the show would say, well, gee, Jack's pretty much covered all of that. Why didn't he just tell the guy, hey, here's some episodes. Well, if he said, hey, do you have anything or could you or would you help me out or I'm looking for more information about these things, I would have probably said, here's a couple episodes to start with and you know maybe we'll talk about that more in the future because, well, we will whether you ask or not. This, is, this mentality that you've got here and, and some would say, are you being a little too hard on someone who's probably a young person? I did call him young man later. He said, you don't know how old I am. I'm like, I hope you're young. At least it can be forgiven if you're young. But this is based on experience. I've been dealing with stuff like this for a little while. I've been doing the show for 15 years almost now. Uh I've been I've I've tried to help mentor people throughout my entire life. I know when I was young, I desperately craved mentorship and and I found that the people who were most useful to me as mentors always told me the things I didn't want to hear. They always made the hard thing sound more simple than I thought it was, and and they were generally right. And they always told me when I was full of shit, when I didn't think I was full of shit, it didn't make me very happy at the time. But I know that I was never able to actually benefit from mentorship until I accepted the fact that if I was asking somebody for something that they were probably more informed about it than me or I was asking the wrong person. So then maybe when I asked them, I should listen to what they had to say, even if it was like, I can't help you right now because you screwed up in the head. The response to that would be, well, wow, I didn't know that. What do I have wrong? I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Then then maybe I can help a person when they get into that mindset. But this isn't about John. By the way, I I would say that uh, land in northern Nevada is probably more free from regulations, is what you can do with it, than most land in Texas. You wouldn't know that because you've made assumptions based on your own little island that you live on, your own little fantasy island where everything's poor me. And the reason I'm bringing it up isn't because of John. It's because there's lots of you out there doing it right now. Even many of you that are worse off than John, because in the end, at least I told him he's doing it, and he probably at this point, even though he's still pissed off about it, has accepted the fact that on some level he's doing it. When you don't think you are, then you really have a problem. A lot of bad stuff happened to me. A lot of bad stuff happened to me. John hasn't been around that long. Many of y'all haven't either. Those have been around a long time know how I grew up. It wasn't exactly shits and giggles. You know, growing up the son of a bootleg coal miner in the coal region of uh, of Pennsylvania in a house that was built in the 1890s, the grandfather had been disabled for 30 years by the time I was in grade school from black lung and from mine collapses. is not exactly one of making a lot of money and having everything that you want. But I want a pity party for it. I actually am very grateful for that background because I don't think I could have ever been as successful as I am had I come from kind of you know your, your lily-white typical suburb with great parents. I don't know that me personally that I would have benefited from that. I do think there's a possibility that we all choose how we enter this earthly plane. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's a possibility because when I look at it, I don't know that I would have done well with a well-balanced, perfect little family upbringing. I don't think I would have. I definitely don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing and influence as many people as I am. So, kind of my first piece of advice to anybody that's in this situation mentally is you need to accept that you're right where you're supposed to be right now. Doesn't mean you're supposed to stay there, doesn't mean that the place you're headed isn't a thousand times better, but you're probably supposed to be exactly where you are. There's something that life is trying to teach you, and it's offering you opportunities on a daily basis. This person wants to know, you know, what kind of non-investment income opportunity side hustle there is. Well, there's no such thing as a non-investment opportunity. Every investment, every invest or every opportunity comes with some level of investment. It it, it may not be money, but it's going to be your time. You know, I'll give you an example of somebody... ...that's in this community, many of you all know him if you're on some of the Telegram lists and all, John Dow, he's been on the show a couple times. This guy makes a six-figure income growing microgreens, and he has an office now, and it's a full-on operation. But when he started, he just used one room in his house. Yeah, he had a house, but it could have been an apartment, it wouldn't have mattered. He heard one guy on the show, he bought a $40 e-book, followed the instructions in it, and built a business... And I'm going to tell you something else about John Day. Smart guy, hard-working guy. He certainly was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Certainly didn't have anybody do any of the shit for him. But that came from one show, one piece of it, when I had Luke, whatever his name on is, that put the ebook out on how to do this. And John's taught hundreds of people how to do it, and one in a hundred maybe will go out and build a business with it. Because one in a hundred will be at the right place for that information and have the information fit what their goals are. And so when you go to somebody and you seek their advice, because when you tell some, some dude that podcasts for a living, you need to do these three shows in this order because I said so, because I gave you 50 bucks, whether you knew it or not, you're asking for advice. You should expect that the advice, if it is valuable, will not be comfortable. You should expect to be told you're wrong, because if you were right, you wouldn't need help. You should expect not to have your ego inflated when you go to someone who's more successful in a way that you wish to be successful and ask them how to get there. You should expect the truth, including right now, you are full of shit, and you need to be sure when you ask for help from somebody that you're in that mindset. Otherwise, you've done nothing but waste your time in theirs. And the only reason I'm talking about this today is I don't want it to be a waste of my time or his. So if he's not going to benefit from it, I know I'm not, Maybe somebody else will. Maybe you'll see yourself in this person in some way. Maybe you're not even where he is, but maybe you were and you're on your way out of it, but you're not accelerating away from ground zero fast enough. The way we think, in my opinion, is far more indicative of our success or failure than where we start at or what we start with or even the idea that we have. If you are of the right mindset, you you don't need to worry about the idea being right. You will take an idea, and you will friggin act on it, and you will prove or disprove the validity of the idea extremely quickly. And then when you do so, even if the idea is invalid, you have developed more and more skill set to get where you want. And the next idea, you will have greater skill set when you apply it to it, and you will prove it out or disprove it faster. And anybody that tells you anything other than that is lying to you. Anybody that says, oh, gee, you're just right. Oh, you're so special. Oh, yeah, it's not your fault that where you you. You know, you just need to have someone pat you on the butt and tell you that you're a good guy. And it'll be okay. You, when you seek mentorship and someone tells you you're full of yourselves and I can't help you right now, you've probably found a good mentor. Because they'll probably help you when you're ready. And how will you know when you're ready? Well, they'll know. They'll be able to tell. I'll tell you a story that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with this, but it does. This is how I know what I'm dealing with when I get an email like this experience. When I was at Float Fest last year, this guy was saying hi to me. This little girl ran up and like hugged me and like wrapped her foot around the back of my leg. Just super little girl hug like only a little girl can do it. I mean little little girl, like six. Like my granddaughter's age. She started telling me a story, and she was probably younger than her she still had that, that, that tone of voice that kids get where like instead of staying frog, they say flog. Right? She was telling me about the flog that they had, and she was she was so happy because Daddy let her keep the flog because Jack Spearco said the frogs were cool. So she tells me all about the frog, and I'm like, Was the frog green? And she says no, and she runs away. And I turned to the dude and I said, It's probably a cope's gray tree frog. And he's like I'm not sure. I thought it was a spring peeper. And I'm like, I took my phone, looked up Cope's Gray Tree Frog and showed it to him. And he goes, that's it. How did you know that? So, well, I assume you're from around here. It wasn't green and it was stuck to your window. So there's like a 99% chance that that's what it is. Now, the reason I know that is I, I'm an enthusiast. I like reptiles and amphibians. I'm an amateur herpetologist, so I have experience. So something that seems so like, wow, that was like psychic or something, all the information was there. And, and you know, if it would have been, I don't know, some other form of critter, I might not know because I'm not as interested in it. I don't have the experience. I'm highly interested and making young people believe that they can achieve anything that they want. But the first step in doing that, in my methodology anyway, is removing your excuses for why you haven't done it already. And that's what I hope I'm putting out on this microphone at least a few times a week. I hope you're taking that away from me. I I think it's weird that people care what I think about them. Like And they, when they come tell me their story, they're, they're like, they want me to be proud of it or whatever. I think it's weird, but I also think it's a blessing. And if that's what it takes for you, if you're, if you're thinking a certain way, especially you, especially you younger folks that are trying to find your way, and you're making an excuse, if it takes thinking, would Jack be proud of me for thinking this way, then fine. Or would your dad or any other strong role model that you have, male or female... Would the person that I admire most in this world be proud of my actions and my mindset? You know, And I think it makes a lot of sense, wherever you want to be successful, find people who have built success in that area, not just successful people. If you want to build a successful car dealership, I can give you general advice on sales and marketing, but I don't know anything about running a car sales operation, and I don't want to. But if you found someone that did it and emulated what they did, you have a pretty good chance of success. Because that's how you build a car dealership. How do you build a fire? There's a process. But what happens is someone comes to you and says something like, How do I take a picture? And before the days of having automatic settings on a cell phone, let's say you're using an old school 35mm camera, and you start talking about F-stops and light readings, and they just want to know how to point the thing and take a picture, you can't help them. You can't help them until they start understanding about the basics of exposure time and things like that. And then you also have to talk to them about the composition of the photo, the angle the photo is taken from, etc. Right? And that person has to be coachable. So if you're seeking mentorship, expect to be told you're wrong. Expect to be called out on your bullshit. Expect to hear what you don't want to hear. And expect that the mentor that works the hardest to help you will be the mentor who is impressed with your ability to deal with adversity and to hear what you don't want to hear. And maybe that'll help somebody. And if so, it was worth that 15-minute segment. With that, we've wrapped things up again. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I do not have an item of the day for you today, but I do highly uh, recommend and ask kindly that you consider doing your online shopping beginning at tspaz.com. Not only will you find all my product recommendations there, and you know if I recommend it, I own it, I bought it, and I'd spend my money on it again, or I wouldn't recommend it to you. No matter what you buy, if you start there, you help us out. It's a kind of painless way to help us out. Also going to recommend highly that if you are not yet using the fold card, use my link in the show notes, sign up for fold. You'll get 20,000 sats for free after you sign up and get the fold card, then start paying the bills. You're already paying with, other credit cards or other debit cards with your Fold card, which is a debit card, not a credit card, and you'll earn cash back in Bitcoin on everything you're already paying for. I pay for everything for it. I pay for my server bill, which is a pretty big bill, with it. I pay. We pay our, our cable bill with it. Uh, we pay our health insurance with it, and that alone makes it very profitable for us. And getting sats back on money We would spend anyway I also say if you don't get the fold card I kind of think you hate money With that, hope you enjoyed today's show I will be back on Monday with a listener Q&A show And all of the new features we're adding to them Including the Twitter poll results From this week I'm going to start actually promoting that a little bit harder Along with some other cool stuff like Boostergrams off Fountain FM With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition Of the Survival
1: Podcast Are they going to bail you out Or just run you around They said you should have a house The
0: American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you'll never have to pay
6: There's a better way to do this
1: Let me show you Better way